When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Something is wrong. I come to you today human to human. If we for one hour can suspend a relationship to profession and nationality and religion, sex, age, race, and status. Human. I, I love humans. In my 60 years, I, I think I have loved everybody. I, I don't think I've hated a single person. And so really, thanks to the comfort you give me, I feel the need in one moment in my life to make a public outrage. I come naked before you. Why? I must report my findings. Naked truth, the evidence and probability of our extinction is clear. It's not too late. I, I don't have a pessimistic cell in my body. I'm really just reporting here today. If we don't change from a society whose value system is based on greed and power over to one based on compassion and generosity, we can have a great postponement of our extinction, maybe indefinitely. If not, we will perish. When? When does a person decide to stand up against greed and power over? Decide to regain their humanity in a proactive revolution for loving everybody. Hi, I'm Lars Adams, and that's my dad, Patch Adams. How's it going today, Patcher? <laughs> Lars, it's the best day of my life. So you woke up this morning and what happened? Well, I, I knew that this was the best day of my life. Hey, sir, how's your day going? You know, thanks for asking. It's the best day of my life. Focus here, old man. I've done a few interviews. I'm ready. Oh, uh, well, hopefully this will be... Less an interview and more uh, father-son talking and... An intimate view. Do you even know what podcasts are? Well, I just lumped them under the computer. 
Yeah, but what what do you think a podcast is? Like, if, if you hear somebody say podcast, like, what do you think that is? Something to do with the computer, uh, that other people can hear it. It, it is like a, a contemporary radio show that theoretically anybody can create, and it is a form of yeah. This is going to be focused on storytelling because you know you got nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize and. Uh, <laughs> And I think a lot of people will be curious to like what led you, your history that led you to this nomination. Hey, everyone. I'm Rainbow Valentine, producer of this podcast. So I met Patch and Lars Adams in the 1990s when Patch started bringing Lars to Wavy Gravy's Camp Winter Rainbow, a circus performing arts camp for kids. In 1995 or 1996 at Camp Winter Rainbow in Northern California, I was just a little East Coast kid having my mind blown by the West Coast. And she was one of my first improv teachers. And I remember jumped right into taking improv classes with her. And it was the start of discovering my love of clowning and physical comedy. Well, 2021 was a big year for Patch Adams. He was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. And had to get his foot amputated. Now, before these events, I had started interviewing him to make a podcast because regardless of the Nobel Peace Prize nomination, Patch Adams is a fascinating, inspiring human whose real story, not the Hollywood version, needs to be shared. Well, Patch tolerated Zooming with me for a few chats, but it seemed to be a chore for him. Then I had the idea for Lars to interview his dad instead of me. Remember when you said you wanted to do a show with your dad? Yeah. This is the show. This is interesting, and that like totally makes sense. Because I was just talking to my dad's assistant, Derek, and I was like, man, Patch needs to be heard by more people. I'm like, what could be good podcasts for him? And then Derek is like, well, Patch doesn't have a filter and he'll just go off on tangents and has a hard time staying on topic or breaking from the formalities that he's used to when he's talking to people and the, the Patch Adams card, you know? The, the shtick, like, yeah. The shtick. Yep. Uh, the VHS tape. But when he's talking to me, I can probe him and... I've heard it all, the sticky sticks, and I'm far more interested in the the deeper layers of it and like in his history and his childhood. I mean, I can't imagine having like lived the, his first 18 years of his life to him being where he is today. So Lars agreed, and here we are. Us listeners get to be flies on the wall of intimate father-son conversations on how Lars's dad, Patch Adams, once a suicidal misfit, became a one-footed Nobel Peace Prize nominee all in the same year. Now he's in the hospital and he's needing care. And he just wants to focus on the, the compassion and in feeling the community and kindness and love that he's receiving around him. He wants to be the most functioning clown he can be. So let's cut off my foot, call me Stumpy, and let's keep clowning. 
Now we're also going to hear behind the scenes of the movie stories about Patch and Robin Williams, learn about Patch's childhood, teen years, and adult years as a peace activist, medical doctor, hippie clown performer with a relentless vision for delivering superior health care to all of humanity, and how he has truly changed the world for the better and inspired millions along the way. I am not the first medical healing person to say that our mental illness is probably a healthy response to a massively messed up world. Depression is a pharmaceutical company diagnosis. As a family doctor, I take a four-hour initial interview with a patient. They're very intense. I don't interview lightly. I never had a depressed patient that the truth was that they were not lonely. It was them being lonely that caused a symptom called depression, not a disease called depression. However, no one would ever, even the pharmaceutical companies, would ever dare call loneliness a disease and offer a pill for it. So they have to call it depression. We all know love is the answer. Love is the answer. My dad, Patch Adams, is an intellectual, a librarian, a clown, a a revolutionary, a teacher, a therapist, an art curator, a total weirdo, just exceptional weirdo, obsessed with farts and butts and childish while also at the same time reading books about everything russian lit today son we're gonna be reading about russian lit oh today son graphic novels today son we will be reading 19th century poetry i'll be popping in now and again throughout the series for wordy explanations as patch and lars unfold the true not hollywood story of patch's fascinating absurd inspiring hopeful and amazing life and times You want me to start talking about it? Welcome to episode one of The Best Day of My Life, Patch Adams' journey to the Nobel Peace Prize with Patch and Lars Adams. You have spent so many hundreds, thousands of hours um, on a stage in front of big audiences, international audiences, translated into umpteen languages. Well... What you don't know is the patch who was crazy. You know, at 16, when Dad died and we moved back to the U.S., my life changed forever in a public park at a public drinking fountain where the sign said, Whites Only. I grew up overseas. I didn't really feel the segregation that Virginia had. I couldn't believe it. And so at 17, I was hospitalized three times in mental hospitals. That's your dad. I was placed on antidepressants. I hated what they did to my imagination. I could see that the psychiatrist and the pills were no answer for me. So then at 18, I was present at Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. And I instantly changed. I have a dream. That my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I realized in hearing him talk, and with the way Mother raised me as a self-confident person, 
I realized, stupid, you don't kill yourself. You make a nonviolent revolution of love and fun. And then that's when I decided to be six qualities all the time, happy, funny, loving, cooperative, creative, and thoughtful, which was the birth of that's the best day of my life because I want to act grateful, you know, and you've been there too. You've seen starving children. You've seen the hell that we've seen on our clown trips. And I've got nothing to compare to that. I don't have a crisis. I don't, you know, I know that I could in the U.S. style complain that uh, hospital isn't built or blah, blah, blah. That's not who I am. If I'm still working as I, as I committed to in seeing Martin Luther King, I still committed to, instead of complaining, to be grateful. It, it, I would say maybe all of it comes from an act of a decision to be a gratified person. Grateful for my mom instead of going, my dad was blah, 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 blah. I had such a great mom and that's what I focused on. And then I kept having great things to be focused on. Friends, pets. Uh, I could list things throughout my history that reinforced that decision. So before going any further with Patch and Lars, I wanted to find out from Lars why he thought his dad was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Patch was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize because he's dedicated his life to inspiring others to dedicate their life to joy and service and that there's, there's other ways of existing to not conform to capitalism, to not conform to racism, to not conform to sexism. Patch's life work is being a revolutionary love clown dedicated to changing the world through compassion, community, kindness, silliness, and love. So the Nobel Peace Prize, one of five Nobel Prizes, was established by a Swedish inventor, Alfred Nobel, and has been awarded annually since 1901. Although Alfred Nobel was Swedish, his will requires the Nobel Prize recipients be selected by a Norwegian committee appointed by the Parliament of Norway. Who knows why? Now, this year, 2021, there are 329 candidates for the Nobel Peace Prize, 234 individuals like Patch Adams, and 95 are organizations. The winner of the Nobel Peace Prize will be announced in October 2021 with a ceremony in December. Obviously, we hope the winner is Patch. Patch was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by some Norwegian philanthropist who loved Patch and Patch's work and thought he's deserving of the nomination. Uh, overdue for the nomination, in fact. So we wanted to find out how Patch got nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. So we reached out to the woman who nominated him. Hi, my name is Kavita Gupta. And as the name and the accent suggest, I grew up in India, very proud Indian American. I've, I've worked at World Bank, IFC, working on sustainable products very early on. Was the part of the first ever social impact bond, which we created, the first ever green bonds, which we created. And then working a lot on gender and diversity, I teach at Stanford University. And uh, I have a media company, Fintech TV. 
it's funny i when i i i saw this movie like everybody has seen batch adams if you haven't there's something wrong with your parents not making you watch the movie um i saw that movie as a kid and honestly speaking i didn't realize for the longest time there's a real person batch adams behind it i didn't because batch is someone who does his work he doesn't go through this crazy cycle of marketing and branding and being on the cover of times and forbes which he should by the way absolutely everyone who's listening he is the guy to be i was uh, attending a very very dear friend john levy's influencer salon and i see patch adam speaking and then when john introduced him i was like oh my god this is a real person like, like and he's here and he's still doing this work after so many years i thought the story was done then and uh, he's still doing it i i basically heard him it was just super fascinating i sent him a, a zoom text saying oh my god i can't believe you're real <laughs> and you're still alive and you're here thank you so much for you know touching my life and thank you so much for making me feel like anything and everything you want to do in life there's an alternative to it you don't have to adhere to the current system and then john um, knew that um I have advice for the Nobel Peace Prize committee and other things so he connected us and that's how my journey of knowing him even more started. What did you do to get Patch nominated for this amazing honor? Um first of all it's my honor <laughs> to basically have and it's and it's my honestly it's my first time a lot of people talk to me I've never found anyone a lot of politicians usually come and talk to you <laughs> and they want to get nominated and you know the thousand reasons they shouldn't actually without naming anyone and i have been uh, part of the nobel peace laureates community helping them think through a lot of their investments i've uh, talked very cl- closely with kailash satyarthi which is the nobel peace laureate from india and i've always had this fascination of me coming from an investment finance background and helping and giving whatever the skill set i have towards something which is so big and so huge i i knew the type of people who should be even in consideration at least from my side um and on the other side i have bunch of friends but most importantly i have a very dear friend um himanshu and himanshu is a member of parliament at uh, in norway and uh, he also is very close to the nobel peace uh, community and especially the five member com- uh, committee so the idea is that three to five members of parliament has to come together agree on one person and has to write a full uh Uh, sort of like a policy paper or a nomination paper as you say of why an individual should be nominated should be accepted in that process and why are these members coming together to nominate it and then once you do it for that year you can only do one person i mean i had no doubt that batch should be nominated so for me it was never even a question but the real journey started was to talk to these member of parliaments and host a screening of first starting everybody remembered the movie patch adams uh, so that was a little easy start then hosting a series having bunch of conversations with himanshu getting 
materials from Pat and his team to put together media articles, newsletters. Also, especially he cherished letters. He writes back to everyone. Getting that support together, it took us around month and a half to get it. Uh, some people still backed out. Some people we were not expecting actually came on board. But ultimately, we had a group of people who came together, signed the petition, and uh, we submitted it uh, from the member of parliament side. Uh, I I signed the document, whatever I needed to do from the committee side. And we had Patch Adams as an official uh, nominee for the uh, Nobel Peace Laureate Committee. Armed with all this Nobel Peace Prize information, Lars moved forward to find out more about his dad. I feel like uh, you're more comfortable to share things with me, your son, than maybe others who don't know you so intimately, who haven't been on umpteen car rides with you. Get you off the script. (laughs) Do you know what I mean when I say that? getting you off the script? I know in my answering letters, if I'm talking to a person who's concerned about depression, I could see that a lot of those letters have a script to them. That if I'm on a subject or somebody asks me, what do I think of depression? I, I can slip into what could be called a script. You know, the older I get, the more I realize how unique of a upbringing I had. Um, you know, thanks to both my parents and, you know, with you as my example of, uh, (laughs) masculinity, uh, (laughs) how did your mother foster your, uh, weirdo-ness and not, and not maybe try to get you to conform to be more like the other boys? Well, mom was a totally loving mother. I'm not sure I can remember her being angry or condemning. She was supportive. I was a very good student. Wild man wasn't the straight A student I was. So so wild man is your older brother by a year and a half? Right. Uh, He was much more manly. And and I, uh, I did a lot of reading and I I liked toys. Like, how would you uh, make the bullies laugh when you said you were like bullied and picked on? That to me sparks like, that's when you started to discover the power of the clown as a a defense mechanism. There were a lot of well-known movies by Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Dean Martin was the handsome guy that got the girls and Jerry Lewis got the laughs by being a crazy idiot. Although I saw other comedic characters, I was probably mostly influenced by Jerry Lewis. So being funny, which I, you know, people that aren't funny may not know what that means, but sparkly eyes, playfulness, uh, toys, fart jokes. And, you know, I had whoopee cushions in those days as I have in these days. Patch learned at a young age that farts are the most universally funny thing. And he has since dedicated his life to testing his social experiment of if farts are truly the funniest thing universally. Uh, Stink bombs were big. You could get stink bombs in Germany. That doesn't surprise me um, that your obsession with farts has been since the beginning. Um, 
and that you, you me. and that you used it as as armor, fart armor. A little more exposition on Patch from Lars. Fart armor, it it's what would make my dad the most proud of a title of a podcast. Like it is the most reflective of him. Like he has deep theory. We can go into it about why farts are the most universally funny thing and how you can break down any tense situation with a fart and he's done research clearly since he was a kid getting the shit beat out of him and he needed his fart armor (laughs) patch's idea of a good time is for people to to find their life work and dedicate to it he and he's done that to so many people and then he's also so eager to get all those people on stage with him mooning the crowd like (laughs) Any opportunity Patch gets to do a group moon with people, he is eager to do it. He, it. And he will brag about it. Every time my dad just did a new group moon, he'd be like, wow, you, can you believe this in Japan? I got 10 people to on stage with me to moon. And then he's like, well, in Italy, I got 100 people at a graduation to moon with me. He embraces it all. He, the absurdity of this existence. He's like, like, we can make a positive influence on people and also be totally absurd and fart obsessed. Of course, this leads us to hope that Patch can get the Nobel Prize Committee mooning on stage. Now, back to Lars and Patch. In those instances, do you have like memories of like what the bullying was like? Was it physical? Was it around you being smart and also like not masculine in the way that they wanted you to be masculine? Right. And there there would be words and sometimes physical hitting. I was a frightened boy. You curled up into a ball. I was afraid of manly men. I, I didn't do sports. I didn't care about winning. How do you feel about the Nobel Peace Prize? Do you care about winning the Nobel Peace Prize? You know, what I notice is that the nomination has great power. That I've had more people call up and congratulate me on that than anything else that's happened in my life, really. And so even more than the film, it's always been held up there. When I was a teenager, I heard people talk about it. And so I'm wondering how to leverage it to fundraise for our hospital. This is Patch's hospital, according to Lars. Patch's 40-bed hospital is like his creme de la creme vision. Just to clarify, Patch's hospital is not real yet. He owns the land and a few buildings, but he hasn't been able to raise enough money to build the hospital. Patch's vision of a hospital would be a self-sustaining eco-village. Like they would have, we would be able to feed everybody in the community there. We would also do greater community work. We would teach nurses, doctors, clowns. It's a 390 acres in West Virginia that would be designed like no other hospital you've ever seen with the hospital would be a fun place to be. Everybody that works at the hospital will be paid the same, but that it will also be a more holistic and humor approach. So there will be clowns, there will be places for laughter therapy, there will be whoopee cushion therapy rooms. Uh, Patch dreams of having 
a giant whoopee cushion room where multiple people could jump on a giant whoopee cushion and make community fart together. That's in the drawings. Back to Lars and Patch's conversation. They're talking about the Nobel Peace Prize. Does it feel like validating or affirming? Like, do you, like, I mean, I, I, I sense that you're not the type of person that like, it's not gonna change the way you live your life. I'm a peacenik, you know, that's what it was called in the hippie days, a peacenik. I've loved nonviolence. I was afraid of manly men. I avoided their style, their, their sports, their muscling and that sort of thing. And, and so I'm glad it's a peace prize because I think that's really what I, even before I consciously thought of myself as a peace worker, I was trying to lighten the load. So I would crack jokes in school. I, I, if there was something serious going on, I would do something playful. So even before I was thinking that I was a peacenik, like the hippies said, I was a, a person who liked love and who liked play and, and how love helped play do play. Yeah. It, you know, I think that is something I can remember from my childhood with you is, is acknowledging that like winning doesn't matter if you had fun playing, like that's what should count. Like you, you, you can be the happiest loser if you want to be. And in a lot of ways, I've seen you be a happy loser. <laughs> well, let's look at the hospital. I'm in the 50th year of building the most radical answer to healthcare delivery in a country where your medical bill is the number one reason you lose your home. Almost no one donates to me, and I find it funny. I'm not discouraged. You know, I got a 10-page letter from somebody who's been on a clown trip, and he talks how it totally influenced their life. And we've taken ages 3 to 92 on clown trips. Patch's clown trips are humanitarian visits to dire places like refugee camps, orphanages, and burn victim units. The purpose of the clown trips is to bring relief from suffering through joy, silliness, and play. They don't do clinics in the clown trips, just joy-bringing. Here's one memory from Lars about a clown trip to the Syrian refugee camps. Lars lives near a train, so you'll hear some train sounds in the background. We went to Jordan, to the Syrian refugee camps in Jordan, and that was just really heartbreaking. A bus full, and we would just drive out to like the middle of what seemed to be nowhere, to these like desolate campsites, and the clowns would be up unloaded and the people would like the music would start playing and you could slowly see people from the rep in their tents like peeking their heads out and some of the kids just run up and are fully ready to play and others are more skeptical and you can sense the, the like grief and heartbreak there but you can also sense their desire to just play and be have a moment of being human so that's why for me clowning is so much about just the human experience. It's our curiosity and our capacity to play and be present with other humans, more so than like needing a red nose or like needing to necessarily look like a clown. It's truly just about our human desire to connect with other humans and be curious and playful, but 
something you have to learn or that I had to learn on clown trips was how to open myself up to other people's suffering and empathy and be fully present with them in the moment. You never know if this, like how meaningful or not this experience was for the people you clowned with necessarily because I never see him again. Back to the Adams family. People who've gone on them had never clowned and yet they found out on the first day that they were clowns. Totally. I, I guess if I was going to have you start talking about something, it would maybe be your earliest memories. Well, I can start and you tell me when to stop. Okay. I was born in 1945. Um, Dad was not there because he was aware fighting World War II. And I grew up on, in a military family, uh, three years in Japan in the 40s, which I don't remember except through photos. And then we, while Dad was in Korea, which destroyed him as a human being. Okay, rewind. Um, instead of going into your whole childhood right now, I, I, I wanted to like maybe focus on your first memories. And I do think an important thing to highlight and, and, and acknowledge is that I didn't know until a lot later in life is that your, your dad didn't hold you until you were how old? When was the first time your dad met you? Like you were, you were a baby, obviously, so you don't remember first meeting him, but it would, I think you told me you were a year and a half old when he came back from World War II and that was the first time he held you? That was, may have been what mother said and that's what I would remember as, as what is said. Okay. I don't remember him holding me at that time. And then we, we went to Japan. I, again, I don't remember that except through photographs, and that was 1947, 48, and 49. And then I believe he went off to the Korean War, and so we moved to Fort Sill, Oklahoma. So he really had no part in really raising you, or like he, he wasn't there. And that was kind of the way it was in the 40s, that the father was the man of the house and the mother raised the children. Where were you born? In Washington, D.C. And then you went to the military base when? In 47. So I was two, I guess. That was in Germany? No, that was in Japan. After the atomic bomb? Yes. Do you have memories of your time in Japan? If I look at a photo album of those years, I can slip into remembering the photos and then remembering stories. But outside of that, I don't have anything up here from there. Then we came back to the U.S. and Dad went off to Korea. That stole his soul. And so in 54 to 61, we lived in Germany. Yes, those seven years in Germany were very formative for me. Um, it was all military people in the largest military base outside of the U.S. Kaiserslautern, Vogelwey was the name of the city, People's Way, uh, where hundreds of thousands of Americans lived. And I was a more of a weird nerd, dweeb, dork, sissy boy, where most men or children of soldiers were manly men, especially officers' children. I started being funny because bullies didn't hit their fool. 
and I found out if I was goofy, they liked that. I was a very good student. I was an A student. My my vision and memory of my father was that he drank Seagram Seven Crown and smoked, chain smoked cigarettes, and that mother did all of the interacting. Really, I as hard as I work at it, I don't remember a hug from dad. I'm sure he gave some. It's just that that's not what I remember, especially by the time he left Korea, and so. I did three science fairs in in Europe, all stuff that was mother influenced. I did a lot of reading. I didn't do sports really. Another thing I was thinking about this morning that I I want to hear some of your impersonations of how your mother uh, used to talk to you when you were being inappropriate. At least the stories I knew of Patch's mom when he was growing up. I mean, and she was very. A proper, she wouldn't acknowledge farts. Am I right? Or nose picking. Or and, and she had two rebellious sons as children. Bless her heart. Will you do your impersonation of of her of, of the stuff she used to say to you as a kid? Well, first off, I don't think she ever said patch. I'm not right. sure I remember her saying ever to describe me as patch hunter, and that was her maiden name. And yet, as a kid, the second boy, I was Hansi. And then in my own teenage life, I called it Cunter. You know, mother was there if I did any inappropriate behavior. You know, Hunter, gentlemen don't do that. If you burped, she could say 50 times, what do you say? Hunter, what do you say? I say, hello, mom. No, Hunter, what do you say? Well, I'm having a nice day. I'm sure there was a time she did it 50 times until I said, excuse me, mom. <laughs> so you don't fart and you don't acknowledge a fart. You don't lift your butt. What would she say when you lifted your butt? Well, you don't talk about farts. Burbs you can talk about. Farts you can't talk about. So no dirty words. She was like a, a 19th century virgin. Uh, you and I used to make fun of her. Uh, she never got nasty and violent that I remember. It was always, now Hunter, a real gentleman doesn't say that. What's the gimmick one? Mother called the penis a gimmick. And of course, I loved it being called a gimmick, but you can't talk about it. Hunter, put your gimmick back in your pants. She said that to you, what were you doing? Just looking at her with oh, your dick I, out of your pants? I would take it out and wiggle it. <laughs> at your mom? Oh, because you're a little kid, I know. <laughs> I did the same thing. As it became the humor of my life, because I had a lot of friends whose mothers hit them, and they were military families, and they got they were punished. Mother wasn't a good punisher. She knew she had to say something, but it invariably ended up being something cute. Real gentlemen don't burp. And so until you said you were sorry you burped, it could be the only conversation. Would you ever say, but I'm not a real gentleman, I'm a kid. <laughs> Hunter, my whole life I've tried to make you a gentleman. In a way, if she didn't hadn't given me self-esteem, I could have felt that she was trying to tear me down. But I don't think she was trying to tear down. I think she was simply trying to be corrective. She was a, 
a really good woman. But that also must have influenced your obsession with farting. Was her like not acknowledging them? Well, and truth be known, farting has always been naughty. To cut a boomer publicly, nothing got as many laughs as that. As a clown, I saw what got the laughs. What about the staccato farts? Well, mother was famous for the staccato farts. Mother never farted and never once acknowledged that she farted. But mother could walk across the room and go putt, 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 putt. And Wild Man and I are on the floor laughing. We are truly laughing. And she couldn't talk about the laughter because then it would admit that she farted. <laughs> and, you know, to say who farted when you smell something but you didn't hear it was where we were at. You know, you could even say things like, as, as I got older and I could see that mother clearly loved me, I could say, mother, was that you? And she, of course, was a hundred percent denier. Where I'm sure she did do it, but she didn't do it to admit it. And she was a school teacher. And so also I would hear stories when she came home and would talk about them. And the worst stories were fun stories. What kind of teacher was she? Elementary school. But then in Germany, she also taught GIs who needed to learn to read and that sort of thing. So she did that. Deep down inside, she was a truly good person. She would criticize cutely. Do you remember what that was like? Well, it would like, you know, gentlemen don't do that. Meaning, I'm here to raise a gentleman. And so by saying they don't do that, I was supposed to learn that you don't do that. So what do you think your mom would think of you being nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize? I think she'd tell everybody. I think she would feel really honored and probably use it if somebody was critical of me. She'd say, well, you know, he was nominated for the Nobel. I can just hear her saying that. <laughs> you know, he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. And, you know, she was not a braggart. She would say things like, not my hunter. Yeah, I bet we could tell her a lot of the things that she would say, not my hunter. <laughs> exactly, not my hunter. He pulled down his pants and showed his butt, not my hunter. She died before the movie came out, right? Right. What's the deal with the movie you keep mentioning? You know, I'm an alien. I don't know what you're talking about. The movie came out in 1998, and it is a major Hollywood movie where Robin Williams pretended to be my dad. And the movie was based on a book my dad wrote called Gesundheit Institute, which is based on my dad's life and vision. So Hollywood took my dad's book and scrambled it up and made the bubblegum version. Now we're going to get more into the Patch Adams movie later in the series, so stay tuned. How are you feeling? I'm having fun with my son. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I would say I didn't come in with a full-blown plan, just like thought of us breaking the ice and um, sharing. I wish um, you knew me in my vulnerable time. Don't, but don't, it, it's never too late, Pat. The vulnerability is a thing for me that is 
it's like listening it's something that we actively have to engage in and practice on a regular basis and we have to allow ourselves to be surprised and i have seen you in many vulnerable moments and phases let's say this is actually one of the things i was thinking about today about how in, in another layer of you is yes there's patch and there's my dad and then there's also your clown character the guy with the fish and um the guy with the fish i think is sometimes because of your clown is a better listener than patch your most humble and sincere moments that i've seen you were when you were clowning as the guy with the fish like seeing that has allowed me to really connect with your vulnerable side um, well i think if you knew my medical self when i do my three or four hour initial interviews with a person you see that i'm as a doctor i'm often my job is listening totally and also that's what a letter is you know i've answered over 400,000 letters so Patch is a renowned letter writer. He hates technology, but he loves writing letters on paper. Here's what Lars had to tell me about Patch and his letters. And he really is so dedicated to motivating others and connecting with others. He, I'm amazed how he has written, probably he might have a world record for number of letters written in a lifetime. Yeah, maybe he, you should write into the World Book of Guinness records. <laughs> I mean, He'll just, well, on average, I write about two to 5,000 letters a year, but in the movie, in peak movie time, you know, in peak <laughs> movie times, I was receiving 20 letters a day. I had a question. Did you get my letter? Yes, I did with the picture. Thank you. So, yes, Patch just, I just got a letter from Patch. Um, with a picture of him and Robin Williams. Um, it's autographed by both of them. Ooh, Patch doesn't like autographs. But also he sent me a cute little letter as he does and uh, with this, a, a Xeroxed picture of him and his partner um, and Patch is in a, an asshole costume where his eye is coming out the um, butthole. And uh, Susan, the first costumes I made. And Susan is playing accordion next to him. So that's that's a typical father-son letter. Did I tell you in the letter that the reason I had a card signed by him was because people send me things to autograph and I totally. never send them back? Yeah. Well, they're going to be really sad they never got their Robin Williams autograph Patch Adams picture back. I'll just tell them I don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we won't include this part in the podcast, but um, I, I'm excited to see where we take this, and I can I can see that we can uh, pull some a lot more stories out of you, and with the collective hive mind of your old and family, a standard goodbye for Patch and I would be fart on yourself, <laughs> fart on yourself, uh, yes. Fart blossom, oh. fart face. In my mom's world, farts did not exist, especially she didn't. Well, I think deep down her clowny sense of humor was like, I'm going to never acknowledge that farts exist, yet I am going to train in the art of staccato farting and show them how hilarious it is staccato fart across a room without acknowledging it. I think no it's way. a true clown teacher. It's a clown move. There's no way she would have thought that.
I think secretly she had a fart fetish. <laughs> I would love to think that too. Equip your fart armor and flatulate peace throughout the world. <laughs> I'm glad Patch has been a loyal wearer of fart armor for his whole life. <laughs> In the next episode, we dive deeper into Patch's childhood with Patch's brother, Wildman, and learn about Patch's adolescent same-sex encounters in a repressed society and how these experiences shaped him into a 2021 Nobel Peace Prize nominee. I'm Rainbow Valentine, and you're listening to It's the Best Day of My Life, Patch Adams' journey to the Nobel Peace Prize nomination with Patch and Lars Adams. Thanks for listening. The Best Day of My Life, Patch Adams' Journey to the Nobel Peace Prize nomination with Patch and Lars Adams is produced by Rainbow Valentine Studios. Written and directed by Thessaly Lerner, Rainbow Valentine, and Lars Adams. Executive producers are Lars Adams, Patch Adams, Thessaly Lerner, and Rainbow Valentine. Associate producers are Derek Busby, Alan Price, and Luke McLaughlin. Original music by Hope for a Golden Summer, Ryan Reeves, The Ukulele, and the theme song Patch's Rag by Noodle McDoodle. For more, visit patchadams.org and rainbowvalentine.com.